We've all met people that just seem to be made differently. They either don't seem to be made for the world, or perhaps they're not made to be in this world. Often these people are artists or performers. People with such intense focus on their perceived purpose in life that they pursue it with a preternatural passion, sometimes to the exclusion of everyday things like eating. Gemma Galgani was one of these extraordinary people. Hers, however, was not the pursuit of painting or ballet or any earthly treasures. Gemma's singular focus was on Jesus Christ. Her passion was for his passion. Her gifts went beyond the preternatural and into the supernatural. The Venerable Father Germanus noted in the biography The Life of St. Gemma Galgani, it was enough to see this girl, even at a distance, in order to be convinced that she was absorbed in God. Her dignity of countenance, gravity of bearing, and moderation of words, her angelic modesty beautified by a spontaneous smile that always played around her lips, all went to show the beholder that Gemma was only in body a dweller in this world. A member of the Giannini household who lived with Gemma commented, You cannot look her in the face. She seems a seraph. And when you have looked at her for an instant, you're forced to lower your eyes through reverence. Gemma herself even seemed to recognize her otherness, saying to her spiritual director, Come and shut me in. The world is not for me. Gemma Galgani was born March 12, 1878, near Lucca, Italy. It was written that her mother, before Gemma was born, was filled with joy. We're left wondering if this was a kind of supernatural joy or simply the joy of any mother about to meet her child. Even as a young girl, Gemma was noted to be serious, intelligent, thoughtful, and wise, and stood out from other children her age. She easily learned all the prayers that were expected to be said by children in those days, and by the age of five was reading religious materials, usually given to adults. Young Gemma's prayers were credited with stopping a very malignant whooping cough outbreak in Lucca, affecting the children at her school. Some school officials noted that after Gemma's prayers, the epidemic ceased. Gemma credited her mother with her knowledge of religion and love of God. Her mother took Gemma's religious education very seriously. The impact of this set Gemma on the holy path she would walk for the entirety of her short life. How difficult it must have been then for Gemma to lose her mother at the young age of eight. Gemma said that one day during Mass she heard an interior voice, the first of many heavenly locutions she would receive. Gemma described it as a voice in her heart, which said to her, Will you give me your mama? Gemma replied, Yes, provided you take me also. The voice answered, No, give me unreservedly thy mother. You hast to wait for the present with thy father. I will take thee to heaven later. Gemma gave a resigned yes. Her mother 
who had been struggling with tuberculosis, died a few months later, on September 19, 1886. Gemma moved in with her Aunt Helen and was sent to a school run by the Sisters of St. Zita. She proved to be an excellent student, and despite her modesty, her radiant personality drew the admiration of classmate and teacher alike. At this time in her life, as Gemma eagerly approached her first communion, she began to manifest those traits which set her apart from so many of her peers. She began to pray frequently at this young and tender age to the Virgin Mary. Holy Virgin, make me a saint. Gemma's first communion arrived on June 17, 1887, the Feast of the Sacred Heart. After receiving the sacrament, she turned to her peers and said, pointing to her heart, I feel a burning here. Do you feel that? Gemma's interior desire for sanctity manifested exteriorly in a quietness that was sometimes mistaken for rudeness. She developed an intense desire for holiness, and her only destination when going out seemed to be church. Gemma's family could not understand these changes in such a young person. They wanted her to be more childlike, to seek amusement in the world, as other children do. But this was not Gemma's path. An injury to her foot resulted in a serious infection, which caused Gemma to be bedridden for months. Surgery was required to address the problem. Young Gemma amazed the doctors by refusing anesthesia. Instead, she fixed her eyes upon the crucifix and bore the intense pain. Only a slight moan escaped her lips. After Gemma's foot healed, she returned to her father's house. Her chores were many, but her father doted on her, showering her with attention and gifts. One of these presents was a gold watch and chain. Gemma was excited to show the fine jewelry off and went out proudly displaying her gift. She returned home, and as she was removing the watch, her guardian angel appeared and admonished her, saying, Remember, the precious jewelry that adorns the spouse of a crucified king can only be thorns and the cross. Gemma removed a ring from her finger, put it away with the watch and chain, and never wore such jewelry again. And she would only wear simple, modest, plain wool garments. Gemma would continue to see her guardian angel frequently throughout her life. When Gemma left the house, she always took money, bread, flour, or other items to give to the poor. If the poor came to her door, Gemma would give them anything she could lay her hands on from the house. She gave so much away that eventually her confessor forbade her to give any more, and her father stopped giving her money. This caused great distress for Gemma, and for a time, she refused to leave the house at all, as she could not bear to see the poor without offering some help. Apparitions and locutions were frequent in Gemma's life. 
Most of these she kept to herself, often speaking or writing of them only to her spiritual director, Father Germanus. When she did mention these extraordinary events, it was frequently in a matter-of-fact manner. The supernatural became woven into Gemma Galgani's daily life. One such locution would set the course of Gemma's life. She remarked, Once after Holy Communion, I asked Jesus why he did not take me to paradise. Because, my child, he answered, I will give thee many occasions of greater merit in this life, since I increased longing for heaven, while sparing patiently the pains of earth. These pains would be both physical and emotional. Gemma would face the death of her father on November 11, 1897. His long illness had dissolved his wealth. Creditors and other officials showed up and claimed all of his possessions, even the furniture, and left his surviving family with nothing. At age 19, Gemma moved in with her wealthy Aunt Carolina in Camayore. While here, a young man from one of the wealthiest families in the area became enamored with Gemma and asked her aunt for Gemma's hand in marriage. Gemma refused the proposal and was determined to leave Camayore and return to Luca so as to avoid any pressure from her aunt or suitor. Gemma returned to live in her father's house. Shortly afterward, she was afflicted with a devastating illness. A passage from the venerable Reverend Dramatis' book, the life of St. Gemma Galgani. This child of heaven began to feel worse, developing a curvature of the spine. An alarming attack of meningitis set in, together with a total loss of hearing. Large abscesses formed in her head, one of which seemed to make its way down through her chest and settled in her side. Then her hair fell off, and finally her limbs became paralyzed. A consultation of learned medical men was held, and from the first it became evident that hers was a very serious case of spine disease, and probably incurable. All remedies tried for Gemma's condition failed. Day and night she suffered, but remained indifferent to the pain and her circumstances, concentrating instead on prayer and meditation. Visitors came to witness the bravery and patience of the Virgin of Luca, just twenty years old and afflicted with this horrible illness, confined to bed in what should have been the prime of her life. The apparitions and locutions persisted. Addressing her illness, Gemma's guardian angel spoke to her. If Jesus afflicts thee corporally, he does so in order to purify thee more and more. Be good. Unfortunately, these visions weren't always heavenly in nature. One day, during her great sickness, when Gemma was feeling particularly melancholy, the devil appeared by her bed and spoke, If you wilt be guided by me, I will take thee out of this suffering and cure thee perfectly, giving thee not only health, but every pleasure you desire. This was the first time Gemma was given a vision of an evil spirit. Greatly troubled by its appearance, 
Gemma invoked the intercession of St. Gabriel of Our Lady of Sorrows. He was, at this time, not yet beatified, whose biography she had recently been gifted, but which she had not read. She loudly declared, First the soul, then the body, which seemed to fend off the diabolical assault. The devil returned a second time, and again Gemma invoked St. Gabriel, turning the evil one away. That evening, she began to read Gabriel's biography, feeling ever closer to the young saint. She began to sleep with his picture under her pillow, and eventually, St. Gabriel, too, came to Gemma in visions. I began to see him near me, she said. I don't know how to explain this, but I felt his presence. At all times, and in every action, Brother Gabriel came to my mind. On January 4, 1899, Gemma's doctors made one last attempt to save her life from the debilitating infection. Surgery was performed on the abscess in her side, and her spine was cauterized in several places. Gemma again refused to take anesthesia, such as were available at the time. The operations only seemed to make her condition worse. Later that same month, Gemma developed another tumor on her head, which caused her violent spasms and great pain. It seemed to everyone who saw her that Gemma was going to die. One of Gemma's visitors begged her to make a novena to St. Margaret Mary Alicote. Gemma began this novena on February 23, 1899. That night, she heard the rattling of her rosary, felt a hand on her forehead, and heard a voice repeating, Pater, Ave, Gloria, nine times in succession. That is the Our Father, the Hail Mary, and the Glory Be prayers. The same voice then asked Gemma, Do you want to recover? Pray with faith every evening to the most sacred heart of Jesus. I will come to you until the novena is ended and we will pray together to this most sacred heart. Gemma realized that St. Gabriel was beside her. He would continue to visit Gemma each evening of the novena, placing his hand on her forehead and praying with her. On the ninth day, Gemma heard the voice of Jesus asking her, as St. Gabriel had, Do you wish to recover? Unable to reply, Gemma said that she answered with her heart, Jesus, whatever you will. A little after two o'clock in the afternoon, on Friday, March 3rd, 1899, accompanied by tears of joy from those around her, Gemma got out of bed, fully healed. Two days previous to Gemma's miraculous healing, one of the Galgani family servants entered her room to find the sick girl engulfed by light and a mysterious woman standing by her bed. The servant could hear them speaking, but was afraid and hid behind the door. When the speaking stopped and the woman disappeared, the servant entered the room. Gemma said that the Virgin Mary had visited her, but forbade the servant to tell anyone until after Gemma's death. While she had previously experienced divine communications at varying intervals, after her miraculous healing, 
Gemma would begin to receive them on a consistent basis. Sometimes these took more subtle forms, as vivid lights or sublime thoughts. At other times she would receive clear locutions or full apparitions. Gemma often saw and spoke to her guardian angel. At these times she would enter a state of ecstasy. She lost the use of her senses. Those observing Gemma would stick her with pins, shake her, shout in her ears, or even burn her with lit candles, and she would not react. Gemma's ecstatic states could occur anywhere, at any time, while she was doing housework, in the middle of a conversation, while walking, etc. She was even given communion while in ecstasy, as the seers at Fatima had reported during their own visions. Gemma was, on occasion, seen to kneel and clasp her hands, then put out her tongue briefly before withdrawing it again. She related later that it was an apparition of Jesus who gave her the host. At least twice in her life, Gemma experienced ecstatic levitation. On one occasion, she was moved to kiss the feet of Jesus on the cross in the form of a large crucifix, almost life-size, which hung on the wall in the Galgani home. After doing this, she longed to kiss the wound on Christ's side, which was too high to reach. She soon found herself enraptured and supernaturally lifted to embrace the crucifix. On another occasion, Gemma found herself again with her eyes fixed on the crucifix. She cried out, O Jesus, let me come to thee. I am on fire with thirst for thy most precious blood. At this, the Christ on the crucifix seemed to come alive, detaching his arm and reaching for Gemma. She raced to her Savior and began drinking from the wound in his side. It seemed as if her feet were resting upon a cloud. In April of 1899, Gemma began to see intense visions of Christ on the cross, covered in blood. These scenes had a profound impact on her. She said the wounds of Jesus were, quote, so deeply impressed on my mind that they have never since left it. In another vision, Jesus showed her his five open wounds and said, Look and learn how to love. Look at this cross these thorns, these nails, these livid marks and lacerations. These wounds are all works of love, of infinite love. See to what extent I have loved thee. On Thursday, June 8, 1899, after taking Holy Communion, Gemma heard the voice of Jesus say to her, Gemma, courage, I await thee on Calvary, on that mount where thy course is directed. That night, Gemma went into rapture while praying. She was greeted with a vision of the Virgin Mary, with Gemma's guardian angel standing by her side. The Blessed Virgin spoke, My child, in the name of Jesus, may all thy sins be forgiven. My son Jesus loves thee beyond measure and wishes to give thee a grace. Won't you know how to render thyself worthy of it? Gemma admitted she did not know how to answer. Mary continued, I will be a mother to thee. Will you be a true child? The Holy Mother then draped her mantle over Gemma. At that moment she saw Jesus once again 
with all of his wounds open. But instead of blood, flames of fire issued from the wounds. These flames touched Gemma on her hands, feet, and heart. She suffered an intense pain and stated she would have fallen to the ground had the Blessed Mother not supported her. Gemma remained in that position for what she felt was several hours before Mary kissed her forehead and all of the visions dissipated. Gemma found herself kneeling with an intense pain in her hands, feet, and heart. Blood was flowing from those places where she felt the pain. She had been given an exceedingly rare gift, stigmata, the wounds of Christ. The bleeding and pain continued until three o'clock the following day. The phenomenon would be repeated periodically, always starting on Thursday evening and continuing until three o'clock Friday afternoon. Eventually, Gemma would receive the stigmata every week. The wounds were observed by many and appeared to be very deep, manifesting on both sides of her hands and feet, with another deep wound in her side. Sometimes copious amounts of blood issued forth, soaking her bed and clothes. As her ecstasy ended each Friday afternoon, Gemma's wounds closed. By Saturday or Sunday, she would be completely healed, with whitish marks on her skin showing where the stigmata were, only to have the wounds reopen the next Thursday night as the entire process repeated. A passionist priest named Father Catchetan examined Gemma's stigmata and offered his observations in writing. I, the undersigned, hereby testify and declare that, in July 1899, I saw certain extraordinary wounds on the hands of the young girl, Gemma Galgani. In the inside, that is, in the palms, there was seen a raised piece of flesh, like the head of a nail, about as large as a halfpenny. At the back of each hand, there was a somewhat deep laceration that seemed to have been caused by a blunt nail forced through the hand from the opposite side. I and those who were with me had no hesitation in saying that those were stigmata, which could not have come from any natural cause. In fact, we saw her hands on Thursday morning, free from any marks. On Friday morning, we found them as we have described. We examined them again on Saturday and found no mark, except a small reddish cicatrix. On other occasions, Gemma sweat blood, as a result of her meditation on Christ's agony in the Garden and the Passion. Sometimes blood oozed from her pores and soaked her entire body. In March of 1901, Gemma seemed to manifest the wounds Jesus received at the scourging. The first Friday, Gemma's arms were observed to have bleeding stripes. The second Friday saw her flesh torn and bleeding. The third Friday saw the wounds open almost to the point of showing the bone beneath the flesh. On the fourth Friday, her condition was noted as being indescribable. Wounds appeared over Gemma's entire body. A vision of an angel appeared to Gemma. The celestial being offered her two crowns, one of white lilies and the other of thorns, and asked her to choose between the two. Gemma eagerly grabbed the crown of thorns, 
pressed it to her heart and said, I want that of Jesus. Yet another time, Gemma received a vision of Jesus' suffering. She was overcome with desire to share in his suffering and asked for this grace. Jesus took the crown of thorns from his head and placed it on hers. Gemma thereafter manifested puncture wounds around her head from which fresh blood flowed. Many people observed these remarkable wounds. The words of one of the witnesses were recorded by Father Germanus. If you would but seen, Father, blood flowing from her eyes, ears, forehead, and temples, they seemed fountains. I soaked two handkerchiefs with it, if you had only heard the sound that we had heard within her side. Having seen the wounds and vast amount of blood, and noting that this seemed to greatly trouble those around Gemma, Father Germanus asked that Gemma pray to be relieved of the stigmata. She was relieved of the bleeding and the open wounds over time, but the pain associated with the wounds continued. Eventually, however, it was as if her blood needed some new way to escape. Gemma began to issue great quantities of blood from her mouth. Another witness wrote of Gemma regarding her condition on Good Friday, 1901. I really thought she would die in my arms. Blood came in quantities from her mouth, and she exclaimed, My Jesus, I cannot give thee blood from all parts of my body, but I give it to thee from my heart. Something strange indeed was happening to Gemma's heart. Three ribs on her left side seemed to be violently pushed outward, as if they could not contain the heart within. Father Germanus observed, Those three ribs were greatly bent, almost at right angles, thus forming a large protuberance on the outside and a cavity within that allowed the heart to palpitate more freely. The flesh over Gemma's heart likewise appeared as if it had been scorched by flame. Gemma herself said, My heart beats with the greatest violence and seems to want to leave my breast. Jesus said, A prophet is not without honor except in his native place and in his own house. Likewise, there is the commonly used expression, familiarity breeds contempt. Such was the case for Gemma, as those she lived with, her aunts and other family members, grew doubtful and frustrated with Gemma's physical manifestations of her mystical gifts. On one occasion, her aunt worked herself into a rage and confronted Gemma, saying, Let me see at once whence all that blood has come, or I will beat thee into obedience. Gemma made no reply, so her aunt grabbed her by the throat and attempted to undress her. Her aunt was interrupted, but returned to Gemma's room later, saying, It is time to end these fooleries. You've done enough to deceive others. If you do not tell me whence the blood has come, I will not allow thee to leave the house or send thee anywhere. Those in her household began to watch Gemma's every move. They spied on her through chinks in the door. They followed her from room to room. When Gemma was in ecstasy, they allowed outsiders to come and observe her, treating her as a curiosity. 
Luckily, Gemma had been befriended by the Giannini family, who allowed Gemma to move into their house, treating her as family. Gemma would live with the Giannini family for over three years, happily working beside the servants and doing any chores she could to help the family. On one occasion, the mother of the house was afflicted with horrible internal pains and spasms. When consulted, the doctors gave little chance of recovery for the woman. Gemma prayed that she might take on the pains so the woman could be cured, and almost instantly, Mother Giannini was healed. Gemma, however, was afflicted with severe pain for months. Gemma also seemed gifted with the ability to discern the state of people's souls, even strangers. Father Germanus related a particularly striking example. There was a man, a stranger, Gemma met in Luca. Gemma warned this man that he was on a disastrous spiritual path. She spoke to him, she wrote letters to him. Gemma prayed to Jesus and asked him to take mercy on the stranger and save his soul. Father Germanus observed Gemma seemingly in conversation with the Lord, begging for the stranger's soul. Her request, it seemed, fell on deaf ears until Gemma invoked the Blessed Virgin as another advocate for the stranger. At this, Jesus seemed to be swayed, and Gemma's face beamed with a smile. After witnessing this, Father Germanus retired to his room. A short time later, there came a knock at his door. It was Gemma's stranger, crying and begging to give his confession. Bilocation occurs when the same person appears in two separate places simultaneously. In the history of saints, many have been reported to manifest this phenomenon, though some say the person was not physically present in both places, but was instead apparitional in one location, or even represented by an angel in their guise. Gemma was once seen in Rome attending a Mass held by Father Germanus while she was living in Lucca. Gemma informed her aunt that she had taken communion from Father Germanus. Her aunt immediately wrote to the priest and asked him what time he celebrated Mass in Rome, and if he had felt the presence of Gemma. Father Germanus replied that he had both felt and seen Gemma at Mass, that he had given her the cup of wine and watched her take communion. Father Germanus sought to get Gemma to tell her life story. As the young woman would have been too modest to write an autobiography, Father Germanus disguised the request by asking Gemma to make a full written confession of her life's sins. As Gemma was in the process of writing, the devil manifested visibly and spoke to her of her sins. Well done. Write everything. Do you not know that all these things are my doing? And if you art found out, imagine thy shame. What will then become of thee? When the manuscript was finished, Mother Giannini placed it in a drawer until it could be given to Father Germanus. A few days later, Gemma saw what she thought to be a chuckling demon climb through the window of the room in which her biography was stored, and then disappear. 
The same entity appeared to Gemma a short time later, and after tempting her with some sin and failing to entice the young woman, it gnashed its teeth and leaving declared, War, war, thy book is in my hands. Opening the drawer where Gemma's writings were placed, they found the book was missing. Upon receiving the news, Father Germanus performed an exorcism, even though he was over 400 miles from Gemma. Afterwards, the book was found once again in the drawer where Mother Giannini had placed it. However, the pages of the book were found to be stained from smoke, the edges singed, as if the manuscript had been exposed to fire, though Gemma's writing was still legible. Gemma's book, it seems, had passed through hellfire. The devil would continue to torment Gemma throughout her life, though she did not yield to temptation. The evil one seemed to take delight in frightening her. One cold winter day, a demon appeared to Gemma. It seemed to be filled with anger and declared it would overcome Gemma, no matter her resistance. Gemma ran into the garden, made the sign of the cross, and submerged herself in a frigid trough of water. It was said that an invisible hand pulled her from the water, saving her life. At other times, the devil physically assaulted Gemma, snatching the pen from her hands and tearing up the paper on which she was writing, dragging her away from her work by her hair, tearing it away from her scalp in the process. She was, at various times, beaten, bitten, thrown to the ground, clawed, whipped with ropes, and hit with knotty staffs, and otherwise tortured by the devil or his servants. Sometimes these fierce assaults would last all night, On one of these occasions, the demon spoke to Gemma, saying, For thee there is no more hope of salvation. You art in my hands. Gemma went to confession one day, only to find the confessional already occupied by a priest, even though she had not seen anyone enter. Recognizing the priest by his voice and manners, Gemma began confession, only to be met with foul language and improper gestures. She left the confessional in a hurry, only to see that the false priest had disappeared. Not content in disguising themselves as priests, the demons that tormented Gemma sometimes took other forms. In one instance, a beautiful angel of shining light appeared to Gemma. After briefly winning her confidence with cunning words, the entity said, Look here, I can make you happy, if only you wilt swear to obey me. Upon hearing these false words, Gemma charged the entity, saying, My God, Mary Immaculate, make me die, rather, and then spat in the demon's face. It turned to fire and then disappeared. Spitting on evil spirits is a tradition found in several cultures, including Greece and Italy. Other foul spirits appeared to Gemma in the forms of vicious dogs, hideous monsters, black monkeys, giants, and furious men. Father Germanus witnessed one of these demons himself while visiting Gemma, who was sick in bed. A large and angry-looking black cat ran into the room and jumped upon the bed. It crouched and looked at Gemma with a furious visage. Father Germanus was shocked, but Gemma said calmly, Don't be afraid. 
it is that vile demon who wants to annoy me, but don't fear, as he will do you no harm. The priest sprinkled the bed with holy water, and the devil cat disappeared. So many spirits appeared to Gemma that she found a way to discern the good from the bad. She would exclaim, Blessed be Jesus and Mary. If the spirits were good, they would repeat the phrase. Those with evil intentions would not reply, or would simply utter, Blessed, and trail off before adding any names. Gemma herself, despite being bedridden for long periods of time, was said to exude a particularly wonderful fragrance, even extending at times to things she touched. She did not use perfumes or wash with fragranced soaps. The scent was deemed to be supernatural, sometimes moving those within its range to devotion. This odor of sanctity, or osmogenesia, was not unique to Gemma. The phenomenon has been reported around many saints and even apparitions of the Virgin Mary. Gemma's great desire was to become a nun of the Passionist Order. She applied to the convent in Cornetto, Italy, but was denied due to her health and her reputation as a mystic which the Mother Superior determined would not be good for their community. Despite Father Germanus and Gemma's confessor writing letters in her favor, the Mother Superior's opinion would not be changed. Gemma began to live as a passionist nun, to the best of her ability, outside the cloister. She made vows of chastity, poverty, and obedience. She wore the passionist symbol underneath her clothes and recited the divine office daily, as the passionist nuns did. Gemma prayed that the order would set up a convent in Lucca, with hopes that she could join them in her hometown. As Gemma's final illness came upon her, it became clear to her that she would never wear the Passionist habit on earth. The Passionists have not wished to receive me, she said, for all that I wish to be with them, and I shall be so when I am dead. Jesus has the habit of a Passionist nun waiting for me at the gates of heaven. Pentecost 1902, Gemma was struck with her final illness, which would last for nine months. She could not taste food, and her body was racked with horrible pains. Even sick in bed, Gemma would enter ecstatic states. On one occasion, a priest arrived to give her communion. Gemma, in ecstasy, radiated light from her face. In awe, the priest froze, but Father Germanus, who was present, encouraged him to offer Gemma the host. She opened her eyes, put out her tongue, took the host, and immediately returned to her ecstatic state. The devil renewed his attacks during Gemma's illness with such vigor that, at one point, Gemma feared she was possessed and requested an exorcism. One of the nurses in attendance commented on the satanic assaults. That abominable beast will be the end of our dear Gemma, deafening blows, 
forms of ferocious animals. I came away from her in tears because the demon is wearing her out and there is no remedy for it. Father Germanus noted, horrible and fetid animals, whether real or imaginary, came into her bed, crept over her limbs, and tormented her in various ways, so that the dear child had no means of relief. More than once, full of terror, she said that she felt a serpent winding around her from head to foot and striving to crush her. When Gemma was able to take a little food, the demons transformed it before her eyes, to appear as if it was covered with disgusting insects and other repulsive things. Doctors could not agree on the cause of Gemma's illness, but one possible diagnosis was tuberculosis. For the safety of those in her family, it was decided to move Gemma from her home with the Giannini family to a private room rented in a house across the street. The sisters of the Order of St. Camillus took over Gemma's care for the remaining months of her life. About five days before Gemma's death, she manifested yet another strange aspect seen in other visionaries and saints, a great supernatural weight. Despite her frail condition, she was now but skin and bone. She could not be lifted by a single person. It took three workmen together to move Gemma, a feat which they barely accomplished when lifting in unison. As with her previous ailments, Gemma accepted her sickness with graceful resignation. She offered her suffering to Christ with few complaints. Only once was she heard to mutter, My Jesus, it is more than I can bear. But the sister in attendance reminded her that, with God's grace, one could bear anything. Gemma never made another complaint. On Good Friday of 1903, Gemma entered into her final ecstasy. Her arms were outstretched as if she was herself nailed to a cross. The ecstasy lasted until the following day. All who observed her knew that Gemma was in her last hours of life. A priest was called and she was given the last rites. At 1 p.m. Holy Saturday, April 11, 1903, Gemma Galgani died. Those who observed found her face so peaceful and beautiful, it was difficult to believe she had passed. Gemma had previously said to her aunt, I have asked Jesus to let me die on a great solemnity. What a delightful thing to die on a great feast. One of the nuns who attended Gemma in her last days commented, We have managed a great many sick people. But never have we seen anything like this. A continuous stream of people came to see Gemma's body before she was buried. People of all ages and classes came to look upon the young woman many were already calling a saint. Prayers were already being uttered requesting Gemma's intercession. It had been Gemma's wish that the Barbatine sisters would prepare her body for burial, and that no others should be permitted to touch her or look upon her body. She was clothed in a simple black habit, with the Passionist symbol placed over her heart, and a crucifix upon her chest. A black veil was placed upon her head, 
along with the crown of flowers, and her grandmother's rosary was placed around her neck. Many people brought objects of devotion to touch her body. The crown of flowers which adorned Gemma's head was taken away as precious relics. Demands for Gemma's hair were so great that had they not been denied, it was said that she would have not been left with a single hair on her head. Towards evening on Easter Sunday, 1903, Gemma's remains were placed in a wooden coffin along with some flowers. The coffin itself was then encased in a glass tube. She was buried in a tomb with a marble slab placed over top, which read in Latin, Gemma Galgani of Lucca, a most innocent virgin, who in her 25th year, consumed rather by the fire of divine love than by the violence of disease, flew into the arms of her heavenly spouse on Holy Saturday, the 11th of April, 1903. Peace to thee, O sweet soul, in company with the angel. Fourteen days after her burial, Gemma's body was exhumed for an autopsy. It was found to be incorrupt, in exactly the same condition as the day it was placed in the coffin. Gemma's heart was removed, and observed to be fresh and healthy-looking, though it was misshapen, somewhat flattened and stretched, it seemed, so that it appeared wider than it was long. Cutting into the heart, fresh blood leaked out, something which should not occur in a corpse fourteen days old. In its appearance and fluidity, the blood in Gemma's heart matched that of a living person. All of the doctors in attendance of the autopsy were astonished by the condition of the blood. Five years later, Gemma's remains were exhumed again in order to move her to what was determined to be a more suitable resting place. Gemma's brother, Guido, was present at the exhumation and took with him the flowers that were placed in her coffin. The flowers appeared to be as fresh as the day of Gemma's burial, half a decade earlier. Miracles sought and granted through Gemma's intercession are too numerous to detail. Physical cures include a woman diagnosed with incurable synovitis, another diagnosed with stomach cancer, a young girl suffering from a tumor in her armpit, another woman suffering from acute meningitis, a young boy who was diagnosed with tubercular peritonitis and nephritis, a Chalmodesian monk with devastating back pain, a woman with stomach ulcers, and a man with acute appendicitis. A few of the spiritual cures attributed to Gemma are the conversions of many souls, sick people in their deathbeds, sons and daughters fallen from the church, and those with hardened hearts, previously uninterested or outright averse to religion. Two years after Gemma's death, a small group of Passionist sisters came to Lucca. By 1908, a full Passionist convent was established in the town, which still exists today. Though Gemma was not accepted into the Passionists in her lifetime, she has since been fully embraced and recognized as a true member of the Order.
Gemma Galgani was beatified on May 14, 1933. She was canonized a saint on Ascension Day, May 2, 1940. St. Gemma Galgani's feast day is April 11th, and again on May 16th for those in the Passionist Congregation. She is the patron saint of students, parachutists and paratroopers, pharmacists, people suffering from back pain, those suffering from headaches and migraines, people struggling with temptations and impurity, and those seeking purity of heart. Thanks for listening to The Flowered Path. My sources for this episode can be found in the show notes for this episode at thefloweredpath.com. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support the show, please become a patron at Patreon, patreon.com slash thefloweredpath. All patrons will get commercial-free episodes of the podcast. Rose and Orchid-tier patrons will get extra audio content and occasional extra shows. Orchid-tier patrons also get monthly merch mailings, including stickers, pins, prints, and more, perhaps even t-shirts and records as time goes on. More information at patreon.com slash thefloweredpath. The Flower Path is a production of Dark Holler Arts. Music, books, art, podcasts, and more. Find The Flower Path at theflowerpath.com, on Facebook, facebook.com slash thefloweredpath, and on Instagram, at thefloweredpath. If you are listening on YouTube, please subscribe to our channel. Thank you for listening. I'll be back soon with more. <laughs>